thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far and has helped make 52 Weeks of Hustle such a success. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. I'm excited to have joined General Sports Worldwide, where Lou DePauli and I will be focusing on executive search and team consulting. Our services will range from recruiting, onboarding, training, development, business planning, consulting, and much more. We're really looking to be a full service agency for our clients to assist them in their return on investment and return on energy. Please let me know if you have any interest. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to be an elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com as well as to follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career growth, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. Many people have the dream of playing professionally and then end up in the sports business. Very few get the opportunity to not only play professionally, but also end up working in the business for their career. Our next guest did just that and has had a ton of success. I'm excited to have Bill Manning, president of Toronto FC and the Toronto Argonauts. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Travis. Bill, thanks again. Very excited for your career journey. So I kicked it off by mentioning that you've had a great career, both playing and in the leadership end of our business. You were even able to win a U.S. Open Cup in 91 as a player. And on the business side, a USL Cup in 99 and the MLS Cup in both 2009 and 2017. So walk the listeners, how were those experiences for, for you seeing a championship on both sides of the business? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing like winning a trophy, winning a championship. Um, it's so gratifying, you know, everything that you put into it. And the older I've gotten, I, I've come to really appreciate those teams because I've lost well, you know, every season you don't win a championship, you, you lose, right? Yep. And in our business, and um, it's hard. It's hard. And, and you really uh, gain an appreciation for how everything has to come together. And so I, in retrospect, I have much more appreciation for the championships, especially when I played, won the U.S. Open Cup and, and the early years, because it, uh, it is tough. It is very tough to win championships, and especially at the highest levels, you know, in MLS. Yeah. And I think, you know, people, most people in this business, whether they're playing or, you know, in the business side, which you've done both dream of just winning one, you've been uh, the ability to, to win, you know, four of them combined was once more special than the other. You know, this, this, this last one that we won in Toronto um, was really special to me because I had, I'd moved to a new market um, from, I was in Salt Lake for eight years. Yep. And again, you know, as I've gained more experience in my career, you realize it's tough. Like my team in Salt Lake, our, our, I would argue our 2009 team wasn't even the best team when I, that's the team that won the cup, wasn't even right. one of the top two or three teams from some of the other seasons, but just, you know, we weren't able to, to win it any other years. And so here in 2017, when we won it, um, it was great because I knew what we 
did to make it happen. And um, everyone came together and, and you learn to appreciate it that much more. And I hope yep. I hope I have a few more in me as well. So that's uh, what drives me every day. Absolutely. Now, back to your playing days in the 91 Cup, which, again, you guys went on to win that U.S. Open Cup. I've read about a controversial call and it, and it happened to be with you. So in the 23rd minute of that match, you received a red card and you had yeah. to watch the remainder of the game. And I kind of read an article that you're on top of the car with your then girlfriend, now your wife. So walk us through that time. Was, was it a very controversial call and, and kind of having <laughs> to watch you win from outside in the parking lot? Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. I mean, things were so different back then. That was five years before MLS um, you know, we were we were arguably semi-pro players and, and uh, you know, it was it was surreal. We played that game at Brooklyn College and, and my team the year before had actually made the U.S. Open Cup final and we had lost. And so we had a very, very good team and, and we wanted to win it that year. And we got to the finals and we actually scored a goal, you know, within 10 minutes and we were up one nothing. And in the 23rd minute, I got in a foot race with a guy who actually went on to play in MLS, Alan Pamperin. And there was some jostling and he went down and I thought maybe a foul at best. And all of a sudden a red card came out and it was it was so bittersweet because I was so fixated on winning the U.S. Open Cup. And, um, you know, I wanted to be the national champion and uh, I, I was, but. I, you know, I guess it was 67 minutes. I sat on the trunk of my car watching the game and it was, uh, it was, it was, it was bittersweet, put it that way. And uh, I never had a chance to, to win it again. Um, my, uh, the furthest I got was two years later, we made what would have been the quarterfinals. We made the okay. regional final. And so uh, um, never got a chance to win it again. So that was a little bittersweet. I enjoy it now because we were actually still the last New York team to ever win the U.S. Open it. Cup. So back in 1991. Um, and it's funny because where I am now, you, you see how far 30 years ago, how far the sport has come in our country. And I take great pride in that, that, that I've been part of, you know, at least in, in some way, part of that growth of the sport in our country to where it is today with 29 teams and major league soccer. Yeah. Uh, Back then, we were playing on college fields and uh, on turf in the national championship game with a team called the Brooklyn Italians. And (laughs) and I want to say we played that. I think they were the Dallas Texans. I think we played. I can't remember. But uh, um, it's come a long way. And that actually gives me really, you know, a lot of pride. No, absolutely. Now, have you ever had the chance to sit down with that referee that gave you the red card? Have you talked to him? Just, you know, these so many things just kind of come together in in one's lifetime. And I had, uh, I had taken a role as the president general manager of a team called the Minnesota thunder, which, which now is actually the Minnesota United. And um, so happened the executive director of the Minnesota youth soccer association was the referee from that game. It was a guy named Steve Olson. And I was so, so bitter. Even then it would have been, six, seven years later when I, when I had that role and I was so bitter and he and I chatted about it. And it's funny because he actually said, Hey, you know, we actually looked at that afterwards and 
you know, I probably jumped the gun and the red card. And so he, he very humbly said, you know, he, he, he went a little too harsh. And I really appreciated that because they had come out with a rule that if you prevent a breakaway, it's an, it's an immediate red card. And that rule has since softened. And I think, you know, for him to say, you know, Hey, I went, I was a little too harsh. It actually made me feel so much better because I knew it wasn't a red card. There was, it was a, it was a 50, 50 ball. And uh, it actually gave me some solace and some peace that, I no longer was bitter because he basically yeah. said, Hey, it was my he bad to it. Yeah. And, and so it's so funny how these things come around years and years later. So that was, uh, and Steve and I got along really well. He's a great guy. So yeah. that was came that was full not- circle for you. It did. It did. Well, well, Bill soccer's always been such a big part of your life. You grow in and mass up in Massapequa, New York. You were certainly heavily recruited by several schools, end up playing at the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut. And at Bridgeport, you helped the team make it to the NCAA Division II Final Four. And ultimately, you were inducted into the school's Hall of Fame, as well as you received the Distinguished Alumni Award. So clearly, you had a great college career, to say the least. What were some key learnings playing collegiate soccer that you've learned and kind of could apply to your every day on the business side? You know, um, Playing college soccer was, it was interesting. And I, I, I actually chose a division two school. It was the only school that gave me a full ride. And my dad was NYPD and, you know, we didn't have a ton of money. And so I, I thought it was really important for our family that, that I get my college paid for. And we were a, a very good team. We had a lot of foreign players. So we had guys from England and from Denmark and the West Indies, um, some Middle Eastern players. And, it, it actually, for the first time in my life, I was around all these different cultures. And, and you know, I grew up in, in predominantly a white neighborhood in Massapequa. And, and I was around these, you know, different nationalities, different cultures. Um, and we built such a great camaraderie. And, and it really opened up my eyes to you know, even though we're from different parts of the world, we're all together. And that's what I love about soccer. It, it, it brings the world together. And for me, I think I've taken that um, with me for the rest of my life that I really embrace differences as opposed to, um, you know, kind of being wary of, you know, of that or, or afraid um, and that helped me a lot, especially some of the guys from the West Indies. I love those guys, Stevie Black and Andre Mitchell and some of the guys that I played with, Frankie Williams. Um, and then the guys from England, you know, and it was uh, that was something that that, you know, I was I was really able to embrace going outside my bubble and, and, and seeing a bigger world out there. And that, that's what my college soccer experience did for me um, was a really. Uh, um, opened my eyes that there's a much bigger world out there than Long Island, New York. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you end up receiving both a bachelor's and a master's in business administration. And however, you weren't ready to give up playing and you played for several years for a variety of teams and even played for the Puerto Rico national team during the 94 FIFA World Cup qualifying tournament. So Bill, when did it ultimately hit you that, you know what, I'm ready to get into the business side of things? Yeah, so I um, I always had my eye on 
you know, you had heard rumblings that there was going to be a, a, a major league team and, and a major league and, and MLS after the World Cup. And I had a timeline in my mind that I wanted to make MLS. And I would have been 30, 31 when the league came out. So I knew it was on the tail end of what it would have been my playing career, but I really, really wanted it. And, you know, like everything, as I got a bit older, um, you know, I had, a, I started, I got married and you start thinking about a family and you start thinking about, you know, we weren't making any money back in the USL days. I think I was making two or three grand a month. And it was, uh, it was something that I had gone to one of the trials for MLS and I didn't make the final cut. And I remember just saying to myself, okay, you got, you have to think about life afterwards. Yep. And, and just sometimes these things happen. I had uh, with the New York fever, which was a team I was playing in, in the USL to make an extra thousand dollars a month. I agreed to work in the front office. It was me and two other guys. And I, I took it very, very serious. And I, I sold sponsorships. I sold our Jersey front to Pepsi oh, nice. $15,000, you know, which we thought was a fortune at that time. Yeah. And now, now you look at it. Jersey fronts are going for four or $5 million now. And, yep. and, you know, it was, I took it very, very serious though. And I really wanted to get on the business side of, of a sports team and, 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 it, uh, I, I wound up, you know, going to some of the league meetings and, and I got a phone call from the owner of, uh, the Long Island Rough Riders, which was a team in the USL. They still exist to this day. And he said, you know, we're, we're letting go our general manager. Would you be interested in joining us? I was from Long Island and I met them. Uh, he, uh, Lou Ederer and Chuck Jacob, they were both attorneys in New York city and they owned the Long Island Rough Riders at the time. And I, I took the job and that was it. I went from being a player uh, and I was going to play again in 1996. And we met, I remember it was November or December of 1995. And I, uh, I was like, this is it. Now I'm going to become a general manager and I'm going to build my, my soccer career and my sports career off the field. And I, I, I felt I had a good career on the field, but I knew I wasn't going to make MLS at that point. And so I, uh, I embraced it and I just ran with it. And, um, um, it was, it was a, f a phone call that just kind of came and, uh, I was really, I was really appreciative that they thought of me, you know, on one end it can be very vulnerable, but to your point, you embraced it, took it, ran with it and, and conquered it. And as you mentioned, you started off in the continental indoor soccer league, then the New York fever, then the long Island rough riders, and then in 97, you briefly mentioned this team early on, you joined the Minnesota Thunders, both the president and GM, where you won the league championship, you were named the USL executive of the year. And then in 2000, you went on to join the Tampa Bay Mutiny as their president and GM, again, won the 2000 MLS executive of the year. So as you think back to that time and early on in your kind of business transition and business career, what made you and the team just so successful? You know, in, in Minnesota, we had um, a really good setup. The head coach there, Buzz Lagos, is just one of the greatest people I've ever met in my life. And they were basically a local team. And, you know, I kind of brought in a, a, 
know, for lack of better words, piss and vigor and vinegar. Mm-hmm. Like I was um, yeah. really driving them to bring in some players from outside of the area. And we just, we struck a good balance, Buzz and I, on being ambition, you know, winning the championship, you know, going after it and that we had to be, get out of our bubble. Kind of like what I talked about my college experience going outside of Minnesota. And we brought in some players from around uh, the U S that helped us win. And, and actually a couple of foreign players that helped us win that, that A-League championship in 1999. And we actually went to three finals. We went to the 98, 99 and 2000 final after I left. Uh, so very, very proud of that team, but it was just, it was in sync. Everyone bought in um, and we embraced each other. And that's when I look at all my championship teams, they all have that characteristic that everyone was in sync and everyone was rowing in the same direction. Um, and some of my teams that have done poorly, you know, even this year in Toronto, you recognize that not everyone's rowing in the same direction and we, we got to get back in line. And so that for me was the biggest key is we would just, we were in sync and, you know, from, from ownership to management, to coaching, to players, everything was in sync. You know, you talk about rowing in the right direction. So what is your advice to let listeners on helping eliminate those silos that may come across and no matter whether you're in a leadership role or whether you're just an individual team member, why is that so important? Oh, it's so critical. You know, my, uh, my general manager for the Argonauts, he has a saying, you know, let's build bridges, not fences. And I love that. I I love that saying because the, you know, the more experience I've gained in my career, you realize that so many different people can help you and also hurt you. (laughs) And so why would you try to, you know, keep people out and, and, you know, build these fences. And, and so just everyone that can help you embrace that. And whether it's, you know, I look at an organization, whether it's the kitchen staff or the groundskeepers or whoever it is, you know, sometimes, you know, you need them and you need them. And uh, even, you know, you, you want, as I say this all the time, you want as many people rooting for you as possible. And there's an energy that goes along with that. And um, I believe that's about building bridges. And and I've tried to work very hard in every community I've been in to build bridges with the local soccer community and the business community at large, uh, because the more people you're friendly with and the more people you engage with, you you get something back. And And it's a positive energy that really helps drive you towards good things. And so I've always, uh, I, I lend pinball. When I heard him say it here, I was like, man, I, I just love that build bridges, not fences. No, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And you know, Bill, after spending your entire life and certainly your, your business career in soccer, you make the career move and the transition to the NBA and then the NFL first director of corporate partnerships with the Houston Rockets, then the vice president of sales and service with the Philadelphia Eagles. So what were some of those biggest transition moments from the soccer and into the NBA and NFL? Yeah, you know, the soccer was, uh, to the NBA, was the biggest culture shock. Um, I was very, very confident in my abilities, uh, very confident in who I was. Um, And it was a bit of a jolt to the system. My last year in Tampa, we had a very bad year. 
And then in 2002, the league decided to pull the two uh, Florida franchises. The league was really, really struggling at that point. And I had always been a quote soccer guy and I wanted to be much more than that. I wanted to be someone that had business experience, someone that had soccer experience, um, someone that had multiple sport experience. And I always had a vision of where I wanted to go. Um, and I didn't want to just be a soccer guy. And, um, it was actually, uh, a, a woman, Buffy Philippel, who, who helped introduce me to George Postales, who was the, the CEO at the Houston Rockets at the time. And it was a vice president position that they introduced me to, and I didn't get it. It actually wound up going to Tad Brown, but I guess I impressed them enough that, Tad actually reached out to me and said, hey, I heard really good things about you. Would, would you work with me? Um, and I came in to work for Tad and we opened up the Toyota Center and Yao Ming was there at the time. So it was a really exciting time for, yeah. for the Rockets. And I was purely in a business role and, and very much in a sales role. I had one direct, maybe two, one or two direct reports. And um, I just... I knew where I wanted to go and it was a step back just from, from an ego standpoint. I was a president of an MLS team and had, right. had 30, 40 people reporting to me and I had to go at what, you know, kind of a mid-level, upper mid-level role at an NBA team. And uh, the great thing is Tad Brown was an awesome boss, a great guy. Um, you know, he's in Philadelphia now, yep. he's running the Sixers and, and the Devils and He's been a great mentor for me for, throughout my career. And I went in with an objective that I was going to be great at that job and I was going to sell. And I wound up selling some really big deals. I, I think I generated over $10 million in a year and a half. And um, it was right time, right place. And then what happened is, uh, you know, I, I did not want to be in a director role uh, for long. And um I got a call again from Buffy saying there was a role at the Philadelphia Eagles and they want someone right away. Would you get on a plane tomorrow? Yeah. And I went down to Tad and he's like, look, man, you are bigger than this role. You deserve it. You tell me who you want me to call. Like that's what kind of guy he was. Nice. And I wound up going to Philadelphia and, uh, I met Mark Donovan, who's now the, the president of the Kansas city chiefs and yep. their president at the time, Joe Banner. And uh, I remember I flew in on a Tuesday. I met them on a Wednesday. Buffy called me on a Thursday, said they want you. And here's what they're going to pay you. And take it, Bill. Don't, <laughs> don't. And I took it. And uh, yeah, I then worked four years for the Eagles. And it was a great, great experience. That You know, the differences were, it was so big. The NBA was so much bigger than soccer at the time. The NFL was even bigger. And you were, I remember it at the Rockets, there was a lot of Ivy League grads. and And very, very smart, intelligent people. And I remember just saying to myself, I'm just as smart as these guys and I'm just as driven. And then when I went to the Eagles, um, it was just big. Um, but what I started to realize was that, you know, the minor league deals I did for $5,000, it was the same process as doing a deal for $500,000. And in some ways, the small companies cared more about their $5,000. <laughs> big companies yeah. did for the $500,000. And then Eventually deals, you know, when I got to Salt Lake, you're doing multi-million dollar deals. I did multi-million dollar deals at the Eagles too. Um, 
and you start to realize that it's relationships and it's all the same. It's just bigger. And I would say the front offices of the NBA and NFL at that point had a lot more talent. Um, And I was able to raise my game and, you know, I got challenged by some of my staff and, um, you know, and, and, and some of the people I worked for to raise my game. And I was able to do that and, you know, really had six years just purely on the business side. And I was able to set myself a, a little apart within MLS. And there's not a lot of people within MLS that have the soccer experience I had and the business experience. And you brought those together. And um, that's how I was introduced to Dave Checkets. And, um, you know, what a wonderful guy to work for in Salt Lake. And so those six years, I really looked those six years away from soccer helped me immensely. And, uh, um, you know, swallowing my pride a bit, taking a position that, that I felt I, I, you know, was higher than, but I wasn't. I needed to get that experience in Houston to eventually get to where I wanted to go. And I think that's great advice, Bill. Like I'm not always just getting, being led and saying, all right, well, what's the title or what's the responsibility? What's the true experience and who are the yeah. people you're working alongside? Cause everything else will fall into place. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Bill Manning, president of Toronto FC and the Toronto Argonauts. And so, Bill, to your point, after spending several years away from soccer with the Rockets and the Eagles, you then make that transition back to that president role with Real Salt Lake of the MLS. And so why ultimately was that the right opportunity for you? It was, I I always knew I was going to get back to MLS. I just didn't know when, and I didn't know how. Um, I had gotten a couple of phone calls over the years um, while I was there, but it wasn't the right positions. Um, You know, I have a very close relationship with Don Garber, the commissioner. He's the one, he and Mark Abbott gave me my first job in MLS when I worked in Tampa. And um, Don's a New Yorker like myself, you know, a lot in common. And uh, he's been a great mentor for me in my career. And you know, the time was right when, when I took the job in Salt Lake. And I, I remember that because Dave Checkets um, used to be in charge of Madison Square Garden and he was in charge of the Knicks and the Rangers um, during the heyday in the early nineties. And I had, I had, you know, kind of watched him from afar, viewed him from afar. And I, I thought he was so astute and handled himself um, so well 
Um, and I'd heard so many good things about him. A friend of mine, Chris Bevilacqua, was working with him at the time. And um, I admired him so much. And, and to have a chance to work for him, it was everything is advertised. He was just such a, a great man. And, and he, uh, he supported me and, and, and that franchise in Salt Lake and, and what we needed to do to build a winner. And we did. And, uh, it was, uh, it was really gratifying, but, but it, it brought me back to a sport where I could then now be involved on the soccer side again. And, yep. and, uh, you know, the team side, which I really want, I want, I, 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 you know, that's the fun part of my job is to, is to, is to, to win, you know, you're involved in wins and losses on the field. Yep. And, and so that was great to go back in Salt Lake and, be involved in that part of the business as well. But now I had the business experience um, and especially helped me when I came here to MLSE that I could sit in the same room with, you know, Dave Hopkinson and Tom Pastore and Jeff DeLine um, because I had experiences that they had with the right. Eagles and with the Rockets. And when I went to Salt Lake, it was a startup um, and still kind of operating in almost a minor league mode. And I took my experience from the Eagles and the Rockets and was able to really help drive that business there um, to think bigger. And Dave was, a bit, I mean, he ran Madison Square Garden. He had, he was a big thinker. Yep. And, I, and I took that vision from him and we really built something great in Salt Lake while I was there. So I'm really proud of that. And absolutely. And you, you know, you were able to win on both the business and the sports side. And to your point, you stayed almost seven years there, had a ton of success. You won the MLS cup in 09. You were named the executive of the year on two separate occasions. And so even that championship in 09 helped bring Utah its first championship, you know, sports team in 40 years. What do you feel like you and the team did consistently to not only immerse yourself in the community and help build a winning franchise, both on and off the field? And it was a, it was a full team effort. Um, we, we became a part of that community. We became a fabric of that community. You know, look, the winning, I say this all the time, you know, if you're going to have a pizza store, you better have good pizza. And, and, you know, we're, we're a sports team, we're a soccer team. Let's have a good team. And we did, we had a very, very good team. We made the playoffs seven years in a row. Um, it was, and, and, and the community, it was, you know, they had one NBA team, you had two big college programs and BYU and University of Utah, and that was it. And so we came at the right time. Yep. Uh, the stadium was beautiful, Rio Tinto Stadium. And that that community embraced us. And we we wound up, I think, by 2011 was selling out every single game. Um, and, and we really built a good business there in Salt Lake. And, and But it was a team effort. We had you know, the, the one thing certainly now that I know is I can't do it by myself. I need a good team with me. And, yeah. you know, my GM, Garth Lagaway was there with me. We had great head coach and Jason Christ, and John Kimball, who's actually running the team now was in charge of my business. And Katie Mattis, who went on to the Minnesota United was working with me there with so many good people and the community embraced us. And, uh, I still own my home there. It was, uh, such a, such really, really good memories. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, really proud of what we were able to accomplish. And I did the naming rights deal with Rio Tinto, which was a whole story unto itself. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when we changed, changed Jersey fronts, we did a $30 million deal with life Vantage, which they're still the Jersey front. And yep. so some really great memories there. And, uh, um, you know, 
um, lot, lot, of, lot, of, lot of fond family memories as well, because that's when my boys really had a chance to grow up was yeah. in Utah. Well, Bill, when it comes, you know, you've been very fortunate to, to spend a lot of time both on the, the team side and judging talent, um, both on the business and on the playing field. So when it comes to judging that talent, what are some of the key characteristics you're looking for, regardless of kind of what role or whether they're on the sports side or the business side? Yeah. So on the sports side, I actually I always look at um, how many championships someone has won, uh, even down to. You know, if it's a college kid, you look, you know, have they won championships in college? Have they won championships at the high school level? Some of the guys who don't go through the college path, whether they're international players or even domestic players, how many youth championships have they won? How many, you know, championships have they won when they were playing with the U23 team? And and I always look at that. And I also look, you know, did they ever carry the captain's armband? Um, You know, that's an important leadership trait. Um, you know, try to generally try to get some references, especially when you're going to spend money on players. Yep. Um, and, and it's, it's, you look for guys that have high character, but also guys that are willing to work. Um, I, I, I like personality. I think, I'm, I'm, I think it's, it's good when players have some personality, they have a little bit of swagger, um, maybe sometimes a chip on their shoulder. Um, I like that. Uh, and, and when you can get a bunch of good character players that are driven and and have, you know, some bite to them, uh, with the right coaching staff, great things can happen. And, uh, for me, that is something I always look at, you know, on the, on the business side, um, you know, I'll look at someone's track record in terms of where they've worked, uh, how long they've held their jobs, have they moved up in positions? Um, I do look if people have athletic backgrounds. I, I, I've, I've found a lot of success with people who've yep. had athletic backgrounds working in business um, because they, I, I think they understand um, that we're in the sports business, right? right. Um, that competitive nature. Competitive nature. Um, and so, you know, I do look at that. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I will ask people, you know, um, about, you know, themselves and, and what drives them. And, and I always ask people where, where do they want to go? And, yep. and do they have a vision of where they want to go with their career? Um, you know, and certainly references I've found in my career, people have provided references for me. And so, so that always helps, you know, anyone looking to get in this business, it always helps when you have someone that's willing to vouch for you and yep. uh, um, put their name out there for you. Cause that's uh, um, that's really, really important because, you know, when we're hiring, you know, I look to hire someone and hope they stay for a long time. And it's a, it's a critical decision. And, uh, you know, sometimes look, we all make hires that don't work out. And sometimes when you make those hires that that don't work out, it could set you back a lot. And, um, uh, so I do, I meet, you know, even here we have, uh, between the two teams over a hundred employees and, Anytime anyone is going to join the organization, uh, I make sure I personally have a sit down with them to look them in the eyes and, and understand who they are and what they're all about. And um, it just uh, uh, gives me some familiarity with everyone in our staff so that um, I know what kind of people they are. And, and I think, you know, maybe there's been three or four people in my career that I've said, oh, I don't this guy doesn't pass. Right. Uh, <laughs> 
um, the smell test, but, but overall I've been very fortunate to have really good people that have, uh, that I've worked with. No, absolutely. And, and Bill, you know, after your successful stint in Utah, you make the move and transition in 2015 to Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment as the president of Toronto FC and the Toronto Argonauts, where you're still currently at. And much like your other stops, you had immediate success. You won the MLS Cup in 17, finished as runners up in 16 and 19. And, and then back in 2018, the Toronto Argonauts of the Canadian Football League were acquired and you led them as well. And so, from sitting in your chair today, you're overseeing not only multiple different departments, you know, both business and sport, but also multiple different teams. So efficiency is certainly key. How are you prioritizing on a daily basis? You know, that is that is such a key. Um, a next door neighbor of mine who was very successful, ran his own advertising agency. I, I remember when I was young, uh, I had met him for some career advice. And it's crazy. He said to me, time management will be your most important asset and how you prioritize. And this was when I was in my young 20s. Um, and I remember it to this day, and it's just something I feel I've been able to do well is manage my time, know exactly what the priorities are um, and when to push and when to kind of say, hey, that's in a good place. Let me focus someplace else. There's times to get in the weeds and there's times to, be at 30,000 feet. Um, and it's just, it's, it's come like, I, I wouldn't say I, 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 you know, I don't write down, I'm going to spend this much time with the Argos. It's it just, it's a feel you get as an executive. And, yeah. and, um, like right now I would say almost 95, 99% of my time is on TFC right now. Um, the Argos are in a very good spot, uh, have an excellent general manager. Um, but I spent a lot of time with the Argos over the last year and a half, um, probably up to 40, 50% of my time. And so TFC though, right now we're having a tough year. We were away for a long time. It's really worn on the team and yep. we have to hit the reset button and I'm spending all my time on TFC right now. And so it's just understanding time management and, and prioritizing what right. is, what is important uh, at the moment. And uh, it's something I've gotten some good advice over the years and, I just, I've learned it. Um, that is definitely um, something that as you gain more and more experience, you learn um, because if you take your eye off, you know, the wheel, things can go awry pretty quick. And uh, um, it's something that uh, you need to know when to jump in and, and put all your attention in certain areas. No, absolutely. Well, and Bill, you know, in addition to your roles, you're part of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment and their executive team, which is certainly a huge opportunity. The opportunity owns a variety of sports entities in the NBA, NHL, AHL, G League, and, you know, obviously right there, the MLS and CFL. So how often organization are the executives sharing ideas from a business standpoint? Look, you know, we, uh, 50 Bay Street, we kind of call the, the headquarters, the mothership. That's where, you know, most of the support staff is in terms of the business operations and finance and HR and, and so on. Um, the teams have their, have separate facilities. So, so we have what's called the BMO training ground, which is where the soccer staff is. And the Leafs have, have their own, the Ford Performance Center and the OVO Center is where Masai and his team are. Um, I've become, you know, Masai and, and Brandon have become like brothers and, yeah. and we are, we are friends um, and we're business colleagues and we root for each other and, and we share 
we share things together. Um, and, you know, even recently I, I was working on a presentation for our ownership and, and Brendan, um, I, I reached out to him for some advice and, 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 you know, kind of some of the things that he's gone through with his team and Messiah as well. And I have talked many times um, just about, you know, just whether it's contracts or whatever it is. And, and to have that camaraderie is amazing. And I was very worried about that actually when I came here that here I was part of a big organization and, and having worked in the NBA, I know the difference, you know, right. MLS is not, not at the NBA level right now. Um, and so I was very comfortable with who we, we are in terms of MLS. Um, and I had so much respect for what they do in the NBA. And then obviously, you know, Brendan with the NHL. Um, but what happened is they like MLSE, the, the MLS team and the CFL team, is in this on par and you look at some of the best organizations out there, whether it's Atlanta United or Seattle Sounders, you know, Arthur blank and, and, you know, in Seattle, they've put those teams on par with the NFL teams. And we did that here at MLSE and TFC has had great success for that as the community has embraced us as, as being, you know, at the top of the tier with the other two guys. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're in constant contact with, with, 50 Bay street, but the camaraderie between Brendan Messiah and myself is just, I can't put a number on it. It's just been invaluable. Um, the friendships that we developed and just being there for each other and just both those guys, I've had a tough year this year and both of them reaching out and being like, Hey, hang in there. You know what you need to do. You know, right. you'll be back. And, and, you know, when, 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 and, you know, when we won the championship, I remember being down in the field and one of the first guys to grab me was Masai. <laughs> he was down in the field with us. And, you know, it's uh, it's really great to have that camaraderie with those guys. That's awesome. You, to your point, root for each other is always key. Yeah. And you're speaking of root for each other again, Bill, you've had a, a tremendous career, a lot of success, and you've won four championships, one as a player and three in the, the business operations. So I always ask the guests to have the opportunity to wear a ring. Do you ever wear it? So I, on game days, so okay. I always wear, um, I used to wear my Salt Lake ring on, on game days. And, uh, my, you know, I, I had left actually after the Minnesota championship. Uh, so so um, here at TFC, I wear the 2017 championship ring on game days. I'm very proud of it. And yeah, I keep them in my office at home. Um, and it's always a reminder that I don't have a ring right now. You know, we didn't right. win last season. And so it, it's a, it's a reminder of what you're playing for. And um, it's not easy. It's not easy, but that's what, you know, drives me every single day is what do I need to do? What do we need to do as an organization to win another cup? And uh, so I can get another ring. And so it's, um, something that drives me every day, but I do, I wear it on game days. That's awesome. Well, Bill, you've certainly had an amazing career. As you look back, what would you say has been your best memory? Whew. Um, best memory. Boy, there's so many. Um, I, it was probably, um, it's crazy to say this because it wasn't winning the championship. I remember, um, here in, in Toronto, when we won the 2016 conference final at home in overtime against the Montreal impact, and it was freezing cold out. It was in the end of November 
and our, our, our the place was packed. My dad was there, um, you know, my wife and kids, and we won. And we were going back to MLS Cup, which we were going to host at that BMO Field. And I just remember it was an amazing game. Don Garber was in my suite, and I just – I had worked so hard to come in here and try to push this club to another level. Um, and I likened it a bit when I lived in Tampa, John Gruden had just taken over for Tony Dungy and just gave them that little extra. Um, and they had a really good foundation here at TFC yep. when I arrived, but I was, I was able to give just that little extra. And, and that moment for me was my best memory because I was able to, I had so much I wanted to prove I could do it in another market. Um, and it was great to share that with my dad and, you know, Don, who first hired me in MLS. And I remember my wife running up afterwards and you know, <laughs> hugging me. And so it was getting to the cup that, that yep. time, first time in Toronto was, and this, how that game played out. Cause we had almost lost and we came back and we tied it up and we wound up going to overtime and we won in overtime. It was, uh, it was probably my best memory in my 25 plus years in sports. That's awesome. Well, well, Bill, this has been great. You've had such a great journey, both playing and on the business side. So to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Sure. When you get a day off, what's the first thing you're doing? Um, walking the dogs and just, uh, you know, enjoying. I have a, a nice backyard where the path and there's a nature preserve behind us. It's so just enjoying, enjoying the backyard, taking the dogs for a good walk and, uh, uh, you know, later on in the evening, having a nice glass of wine with my wife, that would, that would be the best. Nice. If you had a choice to have dinner with anyone, who would it be? Gotta be my wife. Nice. Is she in the side room right there? No, <laughs> no, that's great. I've been married 28 years. And I would say it's always, always my wife is the first one. That's awesome. If you were to sail around the world, what would the name of your boat be? So uh, it would be John Will, my two kids. They're both named John and Will. So it would be John Will. Nice. And to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Um, have a goal. Um, be prepared for roadblocks and how you get around them. Um, and, and, and the last is I always give advice that uh, a lot of doors will open up in your life but they don't open unless you turn the doorknob. And so you got to knock on doors and you got to be nothing. Rarely does anything come to you unless you make it happen. And um, I always say, turn the doorknob. You can peek in. Sometimes you walk through the door. Sometimes you close it back, but they don't open automatically. So those are kind of my three things. Bill, ton of great advice. Couldn't agree more. You know, having that goal, that one goal mentality, preparing, you know, and, and understanding how to be pivot, you know, to get around those roadblocks. And I love it. The door analogy, you know, it's, it's kind of just do it mentality, find a way to yeah. get it done. So Bill, thank you so much. You've had a great career. It's always a pleasure talking to you and I appreciate your time and expertise. All right, Travis. Thanks for having me again. This is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 weeks of hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Mother's Day is almost here. 
and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.